Good morning, everybody. Uh, good morning to those of you who are live streaming today. I don't know whether you know it or not, but now we are streaming all four of our services live. So if for some reason you cannot be here on a Sunday morning, uh, you can actually watch it uh, from your laptop or your smartphone or your, your iPad and just go to our website and you'll find a link there where you can watch it live and be a part of, uh, of your church community. Well, what are you all going to do on Tuesday? You're going to vote. That's right. We have a responsibility as Christians uh, to help elect the best um, leaders for our, for our country that we can. So make sure you go to the polls if you haven't already and, uh, and cast your ballots, please. It's uh, always important for us to have our, uh, our voice heard uh, in, uh, in this country. Well, last week we heard the familiar story of Jericho. And uh, how the walls came a-tumbling down. A few years ago, my wife and I and several of our church members traveled to Jericho. And as we learned last week, it is one of the oldest cities in existence. Uh, some 10,000 years uh, Jericho has been around. And of course, as you remember, Joshua had his army march around for six days. On the seventh day, they blew the trumpets. And the walls, well, they came a-tumbling down, didn't they? And, and while some experts are skeptical that the walls fell, actually archaeological digs since the 1940s have discovered a lot of corroborating evidence for some kind of, of catastrophe that destroyed the walls and then a subsequent fire that burned the rest of the city. And, and the writer of Hebrews uh, seems to view this as an historical event in, in the great chapter of faith, in chapter 11. He says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. And by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. But before the battle began, Joshua warns the people. He says this, Keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them, all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron, are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So what are these devoted things and why were they so dangerous? Well, the Hebrew word is, is harem and it referred to holy things, things that were set apart, things that were belonged to God. And we, we find it first mentioned in the book of Leviticus chapter 27. And it is mentioned as a part of a listing of things that, that might be dedicated to the Lord. It might be people, it might be animals, it, it might be property. And it also included a tithe, that is 10% of the produce from the land that went to the Lord and the Lord's work. And even people might, might choose to, to give themselves to the Lord and, and they were to give an equivalent amount of value depending upon age and gender. Uh, here's a fun fact from the Bible. If you were a man between the ages of 20 and 60, your value was 50 shekels of silver. But once you turned 60, your value dropped to just 15 shekels. So a few of us lost our value, didn't we, a few years ago. Now, if you were a woman, it was even worse. So plenty of gender and age discrimination back in those days. But the devoted things belonged to the Lord. So Israel goes to battle. They win. The plunder of war is collected and put into the treasury. But not all of it. 
There was one man whose name is Achan, who can't say no, and he allows greed to get the better of him. He ignores Joshua's command. He takes an expensive imported robe, five pounds of silver, and a gold bar. And he buries it in the ground in his tent. And he thinks he has gotten away with it. That no one notices. Well, the next city to be taken is Ai. And Joshua sends out reconnaissance. The spies come back. It's a small town. Don't worry about it. Just send a a couple regiments and, and that's all it will take. But it's a rout. Israel is driven back. Badly beaten. Joshua's confused and angry, and he goes to God in prayer. And he begins to doubt every decision that he ever made. His prayer is something like this. Sovereign Lord, we should have been content to stay where we were. Why did I ever think that we needed to cross the river and and come over here? Isn't that interesting? Uh, Just a short time ago, he was full of confidence and faith. We can do this. We We can find a home. God is with us. Nothing can stop us. But now he's feeling like a failure. (coughs) God is not with us. And when the neighboring tribes hear about this defeat God, they're going to smell blood. They're going to come after us. Verse 9, he says, they will surround us and, and wipe out our name from the earth. You ever regretted a decision that you made? Maybe you even thought it was God's will for your life, but it turns out horribly wrong. And so that's where Joshua is. He's regretting this big time. And and what is interesting is he just had this great victory at Jericho. I mean, it's kind of funny, isn't it? The the thrill of of victory and the agony of defeat. One moment you're at the top of, of your game, the next moment you're in the pits. I know some football teams like that. And he pours out his heart to God. And God speaks. Stand up, Joshua. What are you doing down your face? Here's what's happened. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and they have lied. There are devoted things among you, and you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. Interesting, isn't it, that one man's sin impacts the entire community. But that happens, doesn't it? One person's actions can destroy a family, a business, a community, a nation. And the remedy is heartbreaking. An entire family is wiped out because of one man's greed. Folks, this is hard stuff. It is violent and it is bloody and it is not one of my favorite stories of the Bible. But we do learn a few things from it. And one of the things that we learn is this, that money is not just a financial issue. It's a spiritual issue. You know, two-thirds of the parables deal with money and possessions. In the Gospels, out of ten, or one out of ten verses deals directly with money. 
There are some 2,300 verses in the Bible about money. Five times as many as there are about prayer and faith. See, the truth is that we're, we're tempted to serve money. Jesus said in Matthew 6, No one can serve two masters because he'll either hate the one and, and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So how do we know? How do we know when we're serving money? It's greed. We buy stuff we don't need, or we, we hoard it, or we fight to, to move up the ladder at the expense of our family and our friends. Did you know right now the average household debt in the U.S. is 136% of their income? That the average credit card debt right now is $16,425? That the average 21-year-old owes $12,000, and by the time they are 28, they'll owe some 18, or they will owe some uh, $78,000, yeah. And the average, now this, this statistic startled me, the average number of U.S. households living paycheck to paycheck is 78%. Now, I would have figured 50% would have been reasonable, but 78%, which means, folks, if you can't if, if, if you lose your job, you can't pay your rent. You can't make your house payments. And so being financially strapped is now the norm. House payments, car payments, student loans, credit card payments results in sleepless nights and tension in the family. Most of us, I would say, are serving money. And so we borrow to make ends meet. Or we beg from family members. I've had to do that a few times. Or we try to win the lottery. Somebody in South Carolina just won $1.6 billion in the Mega Millions lottery. Their life is about to go to hell, isn't it? <laughs> and then there was Aiken's way. Just steal it. Steal it. But most of it do it this way. We work and we work. We work more hours, we get a second job, we make more money, and then we spend more money. Is there another way? See, how we use our treasure reveals a lot about us. And this is what Achan didn't understand. You see, the Bible has this, this contrary view, and it's simply this, that, that all life is a gift from God. And that our job is to manage what God gives us. And, and when you understand that, folks, when, when you begin to get that, it, it brings tremendous blessings and benefits. In fact, I would say it's really the key to understanding our place in God's world. And if you don't understand it, then you do not understand God's plan for humanity. For, for you don't understand God's plan for your life. And to understand it, we need to go all the way back to Genesis in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so the first principle is this, that God owns everything. He owns every plant, every rock, every animal, every person, everything. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But not only that, God sustains everything. Paul writes in Colossians 1.17, he says that God holds everything together 
That he didn't just create the world and leave it to run on his own. That he holds it together. That he, he even keeps the planets in alignment. And if he were to forget about us for even a moment, the entire universe would crumble to dust. See, those are the facts. God owns everything. God owns you. God owns me. He owns this land. He owns this building. He owns everything because he made it and he sustains it. But you and I have a role. After a man and woman were created, the Bible says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every creature that moves on the ground. And then in Genesis 2, verse 15, he says this, The Lord God put man and woman, took man and woman, and put them in the Garden of Eden, listen, to work it and to care for it. So our role is to be the caretakers, to be the manager of all the resources that, that God has created. We're to do five things. We're to fill the earth, we're to subdue it, rule over it, work it, and take care of it. In other words, we are the managers. God owns it. You and I are to care for it. We are responsible for using it wisely. In a sense, you and I, we get to partner with God. Isn't that amazing? God said, I've created the world. Here's all the raw materials and resources. Now go out and make something of it. But we forget. Like Achan, we forget that we're the managers, not the owners. And it has taken its toll upon our planet, upon our air, our water, our relationships, and our spiritual life. Greed blinds us to all of that. Now the amazing thing is is that God is a generous God and he asks that we take what he gives us and use it well. God wants to bless us but he calls us to be good managers of what he gives us. And folks, the benefit of being a good manager is this, it's happiness. Your happiness will be in proportion to your faithfulness in managing the things that God has given you. And so if God has given you a talent and you don't use it, you'll, you, you don't make the most of it, you'll find yourself unfulfilled in life. If God has, has, has given you wealth and you misuse it, you spend it the wrong way, you'll be under tension and, and, and you'll have anxiety and worry. If God has given you so many days here on earth and you don't manage your time wisely and you waste it, you'll feel defeated and like a failure. Every time we mismanage what God has entrusted to our care, it produces negative results every single time. Now on the positive side, when we are wise managers, God gives us more things to manage. The more faithful we are in managing everything that God has, has blessed us with, the more he entrusts to us. And the more blessed our lives are. When we properly manage these things, that's when we get enjoyment and, and, and proper use of them. You ever had a career get out of hand <laughs> and it starts to manage you and it starts to manage your life instead of you managing it? You know what that does to you and to your family. But when you are properly managing a career and using the talents that God has given you in that career, that is when you really get to enjoy it and get up every morning excited about what God is going to do through you that day. And not only that, there's future benefits. The Bible teaches us that our rewards in eternity will be based on how we manage what God entrusts us here on earth. In a sense, our lives right now are, are kind of a trial run for greater rewards and greater responsibility. 
So this life on earth is really just a preparation for greater partnership with God. The Bible says, Paul says in, in Romans 14, he says, one day every one of us will give an account to God. So we're going to have to give an account of how, uh, of how effective we were as managers of what God had given us while we were here on earth, and we will be rewarded proportionately. So there are temporary benefits in the here and now. There are permanent benefits in eternity. Don't waste your life on things that don't matter. Realize that everything you have is on loan anyhow. Now you say, okay, that sounds good. What am I to be a manager of? You're to be a manager of everything that God has given you. Did God give you this environment to, to live in? Then management involves ecology, taking care of our earth. Did God give you a body? Then management means taking care of your body, giving it proper nutrition and exercise and, and rest. Did God give you every single day of your life? Then management involves using your time well. Did God give you wealth and, and, and possessions? Then manage your money and financial planning. Did God give you a position of authority and, and responsibility? Then, then God says, use your influence for good. Did God give you salvation? Then care for the growth of your spiritual life and don't be afraid to share that with others. Folks, this is such an important issue. If you ever get this concept into your heart and you really begin to grasp it, it will revolutionize how you live life here. It's the very reason that you and I were created and put on earth. It is the basic principle of life. It's foundational for understanding everything else. It's fulfilling the purpose for which God created you and involves managing every area of life. My time, my money, my intelligence, my family, my home, my business, my resources, my friends, my gifts and talents so that everything that I do glorifies God and worships Him. Now, it's easy to forget this. God knows how easy it is. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says this, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hand have produced this wealth for me. But the verse goes on. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you ability to produce wealth. God has blessed us with so much. We live in one of the most affluent areas of one of the most affluent nations in the world. But God reminds us, don't forget that I'm the one who gives you the creative ability. I'm the one who gives you that desire to work and to produce and to, and to create and to invent. The desire to, to change and develop and manage. That's why I put you here on earth and I get pleasure. God gets pleasure out of watching you do a good job of it. But God says, don't forget I'm the owner. Never forget the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Achan forgot this. He admits in Joshua chapter 8, he says, I coveted them and I took them. The Apostle John reminds us in his first letter, he says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Coveting cost him and his family their lives. But greed doesn't just lead to regret in this life. It leads to regret in the life to come. You see, greed operates on the assumption that all that matters in this world 
are the rewards that it can give us. So the antidote to greed is always generosity. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes, See that you also excel in the grace of giving. You see, the act of, of giving, generosity, is actually a, a grace. <laughs> it's a means of, of growing in, in our faith. It changes us into the image of Christ who, who gave his life, who gave everything so that you and I could live life eternally. When our children were little, around Christmas time, they would come to us and they would ask for money to buy us Christmas presents. And then we had to drive them to the store where they would buy the present Take it home and wrap it and give it to us on Christmas morning. And you know what? Even though we bought it with our money and we could have gone out and, and bought it ourselves, it gave us such joy to open the, the presents and to discover what they had given to us. That's exactly what God has done he has created us and given us a position of managing the good gifts He has given us. And he gets, he gets such joy out of seeing us use those gifts in a way that, that makes a difference in our world. And folks, when we begin to grasp this, it will change our lives. And you'll start asking questions like, God, how, how do you want to use me in my career? God, how, how do you want to use me in my retirement? God, how can I make the best use of my time? How can I use the talent you have given me to, to make a difference in, in some young person's life? And as you begin asking those questions, guess what? God, he'll show you. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3, Set your minds on things above, not on the earthly things. Folks, we don't serve money. We serve God. And we'll find happiness not by storing up treasures for ourselves, but by making a difference in the lives of others. You see, satisfaction is not found in what you have. Satisfaction is found in who you are. Let's pray. Oh God, all that we have is a gift from you. Every moment of our day, every breath that we take. And so we pray for generous hearts. Keep us from serving money. Instead we pray, let us use our money, our time, our talent, our resources, our position to serve you and to serve others. Amen.